Hello everyone, Shaden here. Just wanted to give a quick PSA at the top of today's stream of thought to let you all know that we'll be on break for two weeks as of today. We'll be back with Darling in the Franks sometime after June the 11th, where we'll be covering episodes 19, 20 and 21 in one bumper cast. In the meantime, thank you all so much again for tuning into to Desho, and if you could just spare a moment to like, subscribe, follow, share, or leave us an iTunes review, that would be amazing. But otherwise, kick back and relax as we dive into Darling in the Franks, episode 18. Sister, who's the only one? Hey little sister, who's your superman? Hey little sister, who's the one you want? Hey little sister, shotgun. It's a nice day to start again. It's a nice day for a white wedding. It's a nice day to start again. So Hello, ladies, gentlemen, and MBs. Welcome to Wari Desho's Stream of Thought, covering Darling in the Franks. We're now up to episode 18. Three quarters of the way through this hellhole, this absolute slog, like... I mean, Sisyphus, he's pushing the boulder up, you know, the hill, and he thinks to himself, damn, I've got it easy rather than listening to this crap. So, as sometimes happens when we have trying moments, uh, we do sometimes call in some help. Mm-hmm. At the moment, of course, as always, I have with me my very special friend, the Subtle Doctor. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. And we have someone else with us today as well, I believe. Uh, that's right. This esteemed guest that we have, uh, I'm so happy she's able to join us. She's someone who I've admired for a long time. When I first got into anime blogging in 2013, 2012, uh, her blog was already like one of the must-reads. And it has remained so over time. It's for me in full bloom. Her writing has a personal touch that I really, really enjoy. Always really interesting and well-thought-out takes on things. You all might know her as well from her work at ESPN and other places covering esports. Emily Rand is with us. Hello, Emily. Woo! That's so... Thank you very much. That actually means a lot. I don't really know what to say to that because I'm very awkward with these things. Aww. (laughs) But thank you. Well, you know... We, we're both me and doc we're just hacks so we finally we thought we'd get someone who's actually legitimately great at what they do on here but nonetheless regardless thank you very much indeed for joining us today emily it's a delight to have you on the podcast oh thank you so before we begin i think it might just help us uh, for people who are, may not know of emily from before uh to just quickly get a survey of her opinion on this particular show so emily if i may ask <laughs> some summarize one through 17 <laughs> Uh, how how do you feel, broadly speaking, about Darling in the Franks episodes 1 through 17 before, you know, today's episode in particular? So I've gone through a variety of emotions about this show. Um, the five stages of I grief? Think, yeah, I think I think when I f- it first started, um, I was a bit weird on it, but I liked how it used flower language and... I, I think it was around the fourth episode where they do that thing where she would like waltzed with him through the doors, right? And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, this mm-hmm. is dumb, but it, this is dumb, but it's quite charming. 
Um, and I appreciate that. Like, like two dorks figuring stuff out. Like that, that's quite charming to me. And then as the show went on, I was like, okay, this isn't really saying anything. That's still kind of entertaining. And then now I'm just kind of at a point where I'm finishing it. Uh, I was hoping that it would have more to say than I believe it does at this point. I'm not in the, like, this show is saying, is definitely saying this thing, um, like a lot of people are, especially after the latest episode, but I, because I think it's a bit too poorly thought out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to be quite honest. For, but, yeah. Um, yeah. But I think, yeah, I mean, the most, so the most frustrating thing for me about this show is actually not even that it didn't end up being subversive, like I had hoped, but it's just that it's very messy and seems very poorly conceived. And a lot of the character motivations, despite the fact that the imagery and symbolism it is using is very heavy handed and direct. It doesn't say a lot when you take in the entire show as a whole. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe listeners are just going to be like, you don't get it, which is totally possible, I guess. But, yeah, that's kind, of my, that's kind of my take. I think someone described the symbolism as, like, a weird soup, which is, <laughs> is a good, a good yeah. kind, of, uh, kind of description, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean... I've now sat through 18 episodes of this show, and what exactly its central theme is meant to be is completely utterly lost on me. I feel like this show is trying to force me to solve like one of those cryptic crosswords, except it's only given me half the clues. So it's kind of impossible at the same time for me to even get a grasp on it. Maybe that's just me being thick-headed. I don't know. Oh, no, I was going to say, like, I know in previous episodes you've brought up, like, uh, Sarah Kerrigan as the Klaxor princess. <laughs> so I decided what I'm going to do now is just use her storyline and apply <laughs> it to the Klaxor Because <laughs> I love Brood War, by the way. I would not have my job if I hadn't played Brood War uh, when I was <laughs> right? So, um, so, yeah, like, I was just like, okay, well, now I will just apply that storyline to the Claxor Princess and predict what will happen <laughs> in the future of this show. Honestly, like <laughs> if there ever is an English dub of Darling in the Franks and Patricia Heifer does the voice of the Claxor Princess, I will freak. I will uh, no, just just no. I mean, <laughs> if they if they went one further and made it Glynis Talcott who actually did the original voice of Kerrigan from the first Starcraft, no. Just my brain would explode. It's bad enough that, I mean, to get a little ahead of ourselves here on this episode, folks, there is a wedding in this episode. This episode screened the same day as Prince Harry and Meghan Markle got married. And by God, does that just make me think we're living in some sort of twisted timeline? Like, you know, this is like some Steinsgate level stuff where someone's been fussing with history because that can't be a coincidence. It really can't. Ah. I think I think it might be. <laughs> Just... I, I really hope it is. <laughs> I am as as Emily said or alluded to. Like I am becoming more and more um, hesitant to like attribute intention to a lot of things in this show. Like it just seems to lack the coherence that would uh, that would be there if there was if there was like a message that was planned 
to, to be gotten across with it in, in ways. So, yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, it would be funny if, if they did it on purpose for that reason alone. I mean, I almost, you know, the show is so kind of reactionary or it feels that way in some ways that, I mean, maybe maybe it's possible. Uh, we'll have to wait for the DVD square and get the director's features. I mean, hopefully it'll be like the SP episode again where they're all going to be in the bird cages for some explicable that reason. Was just so fucking weird, dude. Oh my god. Uh, d- don't don't ask. I don't know. Well, we had the bird's nest. My art. <laughs> this week. Uh, hey, Doctor, would you very kindly tell us about who brought this particular episode to us this week? Who's responsible? I will. I will. Um, so, this episode is titled When the Sakura Blooms. And according to Wikipedia, it was directed uh, by Shigeki Kawai, who... This is uh, Shigeki Kawai's first episode to direct in this series. He's not a returning director. Uh, and they have mostly done, like is the case for a lot of the episode directors on on this show, mainly storyboarding and key animation on some things. Um, but they have done episode directing for a few shows. Uh, this little, you know, minor show a little blip on the anime radar called Naruto Shippuden. Uh, Never heard of it. Yeah, what is that, right? Who can say? No one watched it. So this person directed seven episodes of that show. And I saw another one. Oh, yes, another Shonen property, uh, Blue Exorcist, the Kyoto Saga season of that. Uh, They directed the first two episodes of that. But other than that, you know, like storyboarding on Gate, Everyone's favorite political anime. Hmm. In betweening on Hikaru no Go, you know nothing else super duper notable. But this is, um, you know, they're getting another crack here at episode direction, and the uh, script this week was penned by none other than your favorite Frank's writer and mine, Nao Takahayashi. Ah. Uh. Yep. What the one half of the head writing team. And who's written most of, uh, well, maybe not most of, but I would, the majority, I think, at this point of the scripts have been written by this person. He still hasn't returned my invite to a gunfight at dawn. What is wrong with him? <laughs> like, oh, the face of my enemy, man, the name of it as well. <sighs> so, let us talk indeed about this episode, uh, which, well... Before we even begin, I want to very quickly discuss a concept with you both called death lags. And Lord knows you and I have brought up before on this particular podcast, Doc. Mm-hmm. Now, to me, the idea of death lags is that, well, for those who are not aware, although you probably are, when something happens that seems just a little bit out of touch with, like, you know, the nar- narrative, seems to creak out against it that makes you think, yeah, this character or characters are going to die horribly. And for me, like, the problem with death lags is that they don't seem to have an emotional value to them for the audience. Like, if you start saying, that's a death flag, then, well, you don't really care. Like, if it was, you wouldn't describe it in that term if it actually meant something to you. Exactly. Thank you. So I was going to say, like, I hate this whole concept, like, being part of just narrative and stories that are not, I guess, video games. Because it just really feels like... I, it it breaks it down to this elemental sort of spreadsheet level like that I, I, I don't know. 
it just starts to feel less like an organic story and more like it's this gamified thing mm-hmm. and yeah i just i hate it i hate it when uh i mean it's terminology i use like you said when i don't really have too much of an t- attachment to the show i think the interesting thing about it or the thing that um i find interesting around discussion of this show and specifically so when talking about death flags you're basically ascribing the way you feed other media um, often related to the creators of the current thing that you're watching and one thing that i think is very interesting about uh the manner in which people have viewed darling and the franks is because it's kind of a odd gynax reunion but a lot of people are mm. ascribing it to uh trigger or a1 but then also quite specifically gurren lagan and i don't know if i'm allowed to spoil things here but like i feel that a lot of people say like oh yes trigger loves to kill off their characters so death legs death legs and using uh prior experience with literally just gurren lagan as a way to predict (laughs) what is going to happen in Darling and the Franks. And I think that comparison is a bit specious, considering that uh, Trigger in and of itself has not killed off a lot of its characters. Like, if I think of, like, Kisniver, for example, was another show that people were looking at, and they're like, someone's gonna die! And, like, uh, again, this is probably spoiler-ridden, you can bleep it out or something, but, like, no one dies! (laughs) Um, Oh no, I haven't finished Kisniver! I was gonna set up a Deadpool on that show! God damn it! (laughs) (laughs) Um, but like, yeah, I always think that's really funny, right? When you're, when you're viewing a show and and you say like, this is definitely going to happen because, and it's literally just Gurren Lagann that people are thinking of. It's not anything else. It's just Gurren Lagann, Yes. It has nothing to do with the text itself. (laughs) Like, ah. And, and like you said, and it's not, not only is it extra textual, the, the sample size they're using is a sample size of one. (laughs) <laughs> and like who from the girl Lagan staff is working on this? I only know that Imaishi uh is doing some stuff with the battles. Mm-hmm. Uh that's and I mean uh, this could just be my own ignorance, but that that's the only high level person that was involved with that. It was Nishigori involved in in Gurren Lagan. I actually don't know, so please tweet at me if you know. <laughs> yeah, send all the tweet stocks away, like swamp <laughs> yes. All of it, Hit all me. of it. I'm too lazy to check at the moment. <laughs> the reason I bring this up though is because I've seen so I've seen so many different like memes and tweets and Discord discussions that just use that particular term, death flag. And there's something very clinical about it. And while I do mm-hmm. agree with you wholeheartedly from what you've said about Gurren Lagan, which I haven't seen admittedly yet because I'm bad and terrible. It's a real good Nishigori did character design for Gurren Lagan, by the way. Oh, okay. So design. he was a, d- a yeah. designer. Okay. Ah, cool. right. Um, but the reason I bring you up is because it seems to me like if you get a lot of people saying that, it tends to give a lens into how an audience might view a show and what their reaction is to it as it's going along. And if all they can express about their investment in the characters is death flag, as if it's like you know some play along at home game, like a Deadpool, <laughs> you know, then. Right. Yeah. I think it speaks volumes to the show's level of, you know, emotional engagement because I'm sure that many people have described this particular episode as one gigantic death flag. I certainly have my own misgivings from what I've seen of this episode and the way I've inferred a lot of its events and the kind of behind-the-scenes workings of it, that it does feel very artificial, like it strains against, like, you know, organic storytelling in some bits, which we'll, of course, get to and describe there with <clears throat> i'm just gonna let me let me like put my cards on the table right now no one's gonna die yeah that's actually what i also think 
I think they're too, and like, weirdly enough, I, I think uh, a lot of trigger properties tend to be a little bit too in love with their characters at times. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So. Not that I'm saying, like, someone should have died in Little Witch Academia or something like that. <laughs> 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 you know, I think I think it's more that, like, uh, the comparison with Gurren Lagann and what Trigger has done, like, as Trigger is a very, like, it's it's odd what people end up ascribing to whom and what's actually correct. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, maybe they can, you know, parachute in Jenna Bocci for the last couple of episodes and then we'll have a real slaughter on our hands. <laughs> Although that's a broad I don't that's, <laughs> that's a broad statement, I admit. He doesn't kill off everyone. So okay. It's the morning after the night before, and Mitsuru wakes up and finds that Kokoro has turned into a small doll. No, I'm kidding. That's not actually what happens. <laughs> Kokoro's Her already... Her hair color's changed. <laughs> Kokoro's already awake and is just looking out the window. And it's all very picturesque as, you know, Mitsuru leans over her shoulder, looks out, there's like sakura flowers floating in. And then we cut to the OP and because this show is this show and because, you know, Nine Alpha said he was going to tell, you can probably guess how well this is going to end, unfortunately, for our, you know, budding couple here. I have a question before we go any further, though, just to ask both of you here for solicit your opinion on something. Now, for the for the show in general, from episode one to present, who would you argue the lead male and lead female characters are? Futoshi. <laughs> and no, <laughs> I mean, oh come on, we we yes, Hero Zero Two, okay. absolutely. What yeah, do you think, Emily? No question, Hero and Zero Two. Okay, to me. Since we've had the start of this like new arc, it feels almost a little bit like it's shifted away from them towards Kokoro and Mitsuru. Because the current crux of what's been happening since episode 16 is mostly around them and their budding romance. I mean, there is certainly stuff happening with Hero and Zero too, but it feels a bit more uneven now. It's not entirely their, you know, their show, so to speak. Do you feel I'm right there, or do you feel like I've got I'm not entirely off base? Yeah, I think it kind of shifted away from them um, because their, like, quote-unquote central conflict, I guess, was somewhat resolved, or at least the conflict between the two of them, right, was resolved. Mm -hmm. So now they kind of have taken a back seat, but they're also used for framing. So where they use the picture book, which is taken from Yuri Kuma Arashi, by the way. Um, <laughs> it, where they use the picture book, it's that it's Zero Two and Hero framing the narrative for Mitsuru and Kokoro. And in this episode, it's actually no different because it's Hero's suggestion uh, oh, as to what man. happens later, which I, I'm sure we'll, we'll get oh into God. later. Uh, but, yeah, like, I, have, I have thoughts on that. But yeah, so, so they so they basically use their relationship now to like frame all other relationships that are going on in the in the series. Literally anime Jesus as you said, Doc. And why did they get married? Because Jesus told them to. <sighs> what a show, eh? What a show. <laughs> so yes, we come back after the break and Ichigo is being briefed by Hachi that they're now gonna be leaving at long last. They're out of there. They're making, you know, making a break for the hills. Because Misselheim is a wreck, and they're gonna go get picked up. It's really because since sex has been had, they are leaving childhood behind. Starting adolescence. They can no longer stay here in this 
playpen for children. It's a metaphor. Can I add a random like flower note that you guys may or may not know? I do not. I, I rely on you for this. <laughs> okay, so uh, the the name of their plantation is a Cerasus. I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but it's a flowering cherry that is... Uh, it's a sour cherry that is self-fertile, and it's also, like, this entire episode is called When the, when the Sakura Bloom or When the Cherry Blossoms Bloom. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's basically framing everything, like, this is the Japanese cherry blossom, and we're going to now, like, everything is transient, that kind of... It, yes. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. That's often, like, a metaphor for, like, the beauty of fleeting life, right? Yeah. The Sakura yeah, blooms so basically. briefly, and it's... It shines and and people love it, and then it blows away and is gone. Yes, mm-hmm. and that's yep. the and entire it... that is the entire framing for this episode that actually started last episode. Mm-hmm. I I know Mistleton is a famous Icelandic mythic sword. Oh, it's also a mistletoe. That's, all, that's it. <laughs> I know that Ikudo's name is slightly bastardized, but that's why I learned in this episode. <laughs> <I mean. laughs> One nine sideways six. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to use that as a password at some point. I'm just going to like turn my finger <laughs> on the keypad like say, 90 how degrees. How sad is it that she gets the same backstory? Like, give her her own like. Like, I God. get that they don't have a lot of like. I, I guess the idea is that they don't have a lot of uh, reference points, or like because they've been raised in a very sterile environment yes. as children. Like, there's not a lot of nice childhood memories that they can have, but like. I was just like, how is this the same exact thing as Hero? Like, it all goes back to him. <laughs> at least give at least give her her own backstory. It reminds me of um, oh. all of the. Like, this is going to sound like a really way out of left field comparison, but oh, we, we've got those all over. It reminds me, you know how, uh, or maybe you don't, but like there was a rise in um, Poe Dameron and Finn fan fiction after the first uh, star- new Star Wars movie. <laughs> Because he gave him his name, and that was like the that was the framing for their thing, right? So it's like that's what this reminded me of. I'm like, okay, so if there's a relationship, then someone named someone, and that's why they have this attachment. And wait, wait, wasn't Finn also an emotionally repressed soldier with a numeric? Oh my god, he was. They are the same. They are the same character. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I well. Moving on. <laughs> so, yes, Misselheim is falling apart. This literally, by the way, was a day or two after... I, I assume it is, mind you, but it feels like it is. It's like a day or two after Mitsu and Kokoro bumped uglies, and now the entire place is literally tipped over the edge. So, I don't know. I, feel, I just felt like it's suddenly a problem now when it wasn't before, like, felt a bit strange, but that's minor. It's not really a big deal. It was kind of abandoned previously, right? Like, that's... That was the whole deal, the, you know. They were surviving on their own, cooking their own food, yeah. or whatever. Well, I mean, I mean, the river that we get shown is completely dried up at this point. The fish are yeah, dying, it's like dead fish mm. in the pond. Yeah, it's literally happened the day after they had, really, really they did it. They did. I will say, they did say that they were like running out of potable water and stuff like that in the previous episode. It, it was is a little fast in this episode, but yeah, they did. They did like make allusions to like we only wow. have this much food left we only have this much potable uh-huh. water left if yeah we receive help. uh so are you saying it's because they sinned that papa turned off the water it's the garden of eden did, 
I just found it strange that from the previous episode, like it felt like it's soon but not immediate, as opposed to well, it's right. literally it dried up quickly. immediately. <laughs> it just happened immediately. It's just a strange sense of timing, but it's so minor it doesn't matter. Like that kind of stuff doesn't bother me in this show anymore. It's just more amusing to point out. Meanwhile, ha- Hachi's just watching it all happen. Oh, I've got some funny things about him I want to say later. That guy. That guy. But anyway, so here he, he has the uh, he has the lucrative uh, sex tape <laughs> that he can that he can leak oh. to TMZ for quite a lot of money. Oh my god! <laughs> do you reckon? Do you reckon Hatchy was watching that and then he just had a plain face throughout all of it, like completely it took, no reaction? Yes. Yep. Yep. Completely emotionless. Yeah. Just scientifically, you know, making notes. Oh, I hope he never hand over that tape to Frank's. Oh, knowing me, that's exactly what I'd ask for. Ah! Oh, the, the good doctor. The, no, the. no, he's not. <laughs> he's not. So, okay, the kids, that being Goro, Ichigo, and Hiro, Ichigo tells them, of course, they're leaving, and they are walking back to the schoolhouse, discussing this, saying, like, it wasn't so bad here, maybe it could have stayed like this forever, and Hiro says, there's one last thing I'd like to do before I leave which I assume would be him, like, standing at the edge of Misselheim and just deciding to, you know, take a quick whiz over the edge just to, you know, show off. <laughs> I don't know. But sadly, that's not uh, the case. I don't know why that cracks me up, but it does. <laughs> I have a crude mind, I'm sorry. Um, but he actually says, okay, let's go, and, let's go and have one final thing. Let's go have a bang. And so, a wedding's going to happen. Now, for- forgive me for thinking this, when I first saw this episode, and I was watching the narrative play out, and it turns out that it's Kokoro and Mitsu getting married, I had this nagging little thought in the back of my head. I was like, wait a minute, something doesn't seem right about this. Not that it's not Mitsu and Kokoro themselves getting married, that's perfectly fine. But I was like, what is this thing? What is this nagging little problem in my head? And it hit me. It's not that Mitsu and Kokoro should not be getting married, it should be Hero and Zero too. Because, like, they've only been together very briefly. Why is Hero pushing this suggestion onto them when he himself, as he admits later in this episode, promised to marry Zero Two at some point? I don't. I have two. I have two theories. Mm-hmm. Uh, first theory is because you know the writers don't want to erase Hero and Zero Two's memories mm-hmm. again. They, but they, I think, feel like they need to to do that to to give them the happiness and then take it away. Um, the other theory I had is, you know, just be sort of more moralistic one that you know they have uh, copulated and now they must be wed. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that's the I... perspective of the. That that's again theoretical. Sorry, Emily, this go isn't. Ahead. No, I was gonna say this isn't my theory, but I know like tying back into how people like to view it as almost like a sandbox, like a meta sandbox, and talking about death flags. I know there was the joke that like Hero was setting up Kokoro and Mitsuru because he knew that the nines would interfere, so <laughs> he wouldn't have to deal with it. So it's like you guys take the bullet for me. I'm just gonna yeah. stand over here and celebrate. Like you, you guys take care of that. I have to say that I can't immediately write off that theory given Hero's previous <laughs> behaviour. That's the worst bit of it. I mean, I know it's not true, but there's evidence. I can point to things. 
<laughs> the real mastermind is, was Futoshi. He he was the devil who whispered the idea in Hiro's ear because he knew. <laughs> he knew that if he could erase Mitsuru from Kokoro's mind, he'd have a chance again. Yes. Yes, indeed. Actually, now that you've said that... <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> if he right. he's, he's yeah oh, all along he's been uh, the evil genius we'll keep that theory in our pocket actually i'm gonna look out i i don't want that to be like i hate him enough as it is i'm <laughs> no i know like oh this even in this episode he's um very bothersome <sighs> or or maybe maybe how th- i Maybe it's not even just him, but sort of how the show frames his uh, actions and how the other characters react to it. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No problem. So the kids are back in the magic meeting room and they're discussing all of this and Mitsuru and Kokoro decide, eh, why not, you know? I mean, I do find it funny that, you know, if people are holding this thing up as kind of like some sort of conservative, you know, viewpoint that technically Mitsuru and Kokoro have done things out of order. I mean, you're supposed to, you know consummate the marriage after the marriage has happened but they've kind of done that backwards so that's true but it, i guess the counterpoint then would be like if you do uh you know well how did you put it what was the phrase you use do the do <laughs> yeah if you do the do beforehand then you absolutely must wed it has to be like a very quick shotgun thing you've you've locked in you know <laughs> your yeah mm-hmm you know what this uh, means so, as like tangential a tangential aside is that Zero Two and Hero have not done this. Exactly. Uh pass. <laughs> uh but so yeah, I don't know. Despite sleeping in the same room for what feels like months. Who can say? He's a sh- he's a shy boy. I don't think he I don't <laughs> think he has enough brain cells to technically be shy. <laughs> I don't like it very much, Emily. Oh, I'm sorry. He doesn't, yeah, hey, he doesn't like you. His memories <laughs> were lost. We don't know. Actually, so related. Does anyone else find it concerning how Mitsuru has kind of had a lobotomy in the past, like, two episodes? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like... kind of like the... So he's become basically not another hero, but, like, the whole reason why Kokoro connected with him in the first place was because there was actually, I think, a a reasoning behind it like she was someone who always said the nice thing right like she was basically the the person who's like i'll just say whatever the nicest thing is or mm-hmm. i'll agree because mm-hmm. i don't want to make waves i don't want to get i don't want people angry at me and the thing she always appreciated about mitsuru is that he was the opposite he always said like not we know he didn't really speak his mind but like it seemed like he was more outspoken he was more honest with his feelings than she was but then, like, since... Ha, by the way. Ha. Yeah, but, like, <laughs> since since the whole hair... The symbolic hair-cutting scene oh, she in the garden... It. By the way, surrounded by hibiscus <laughs> and cactus flowers, which I think is absolutely hilarious, and I'm kicking myself for not recognizing the cactus flowers beforehand because they're symbolic of sex. Um, <laughs> is that... Oh, my is God. That, uh, yeah, I actually wrote about this. But anyway, um, mm-hmm. I was just like, God, I'm kicking myself. How did I not see it? It was so obvious. Uh, this the show is always on point with its flower language. Always. Never been wrong. But yeah, so I find it concerning that Mitsuru is suddenly a different person. 
Like, I get that he's come to terms with his relationship with Hiro, I guess, and he's moved on, etc. But now he's just like, what is his personality now? You, you know? <laughs> like, That's a great does, question. Does he have you, one? you know? You're, in, you're entirely right, Emily. And <laughs> I just think to myself, that's the same with Zero Two now as well. Like she's had so much of her, like you know, personality sanded down. Oh my god! Yeah, totally defanged her. That's kind of sad. Yeah. yeah, she was so interesting the first five or six episodes. Yeah, really unpredictable. You know, like uh, I guess the message with again here I go attributing messages to the show, but maybe it's like, well, Mitsuru found himself a partner. And so now he's, you know, all his angst and stuff has been assuaged by the <laughs> gentle touch of a woman. Oh, God. This is the problem with Frank's, like, even, like, you know what we said before about not attributing messages? I think there's something that I just want to throw out there regarding this. Like, even if a show is not intentionally throwing messages out deliberately. Like, uh, maybe Nishigori, whoever's writing this, isn't intending any of this. Maybe he just wants it to be a simple, we like the heroes, and the heroes fight the bad guys and the robots, and it's pow, pow, bow, bow, pew, pew. Maybe it's as simple as that. And there's no agenda mm. behind it whatsoever. The The whole sexual piloting thing is just a gimmick. That's it. But the problem is, is as we've said before many times, authorial intent and audience interpretation often do not align. Yeah, the problem is you you then put it out into the world. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then it, now it's everybody's. Yes, it is. In in all seriousness, like I think I, I actually think this is a really good point about Mitsuru. Like, and I think that it shows. And we made a similar point about Hero and Zero Two, and how you should almost saying they've kind of been shuffled off to the side. I, I think it's just because like there's not a lot of depth to any of the characters. And when these surface level conflicts are resolved, there's not really much else there. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're not like real, like people that they don't seem written as, as people with any kind of depth. Unfortunately. No, I, it's like I've said before, like, I think that if you wanted to do this show differently, you could have cut the entire B cast out and just kept hero and zero to it and make it strictly about them. Cut the series down in size to twelve episodes. Ultra focus. Hell, make it make it two OAVs. I feel like this even could better. Be yeah, like a, like a movie, yeah. a movie story. You know. Yeah. Oh no, I was just gonna say. Then you could also because like it obviously there's a weird issue with Frank's that I've had since probably episode I think five or six, and it's the just the pacing. Like it it inserts these um, like. Uh, random episodes with the cast that to your point I think it was subs that said it in one of your previous episodes but like those episodes can be really rewarding if you care about the characters and Mm -hmm. they they try to sneak in like I know with the beach episode they they purposefully basically like Dr. Frank set it up so they'd stumble upon this town and look at the forbidden books or see the ruins or whatever. Oh, yeah, I did. I Um, I very intelligent. Yeah, like, and obviously that was, like, (laughs) purposeful. They set it up that way. So there's there's that where it, like, wants to tie into the larger story, but then it also wants to be an episode just about them goofing off. And since the characters Mm -hmm. don't have a lot of... Like, the, the show doesn't 
spend enough time building the characters, but then when it does spend time building the characters, it tries to do something else completely. Yeah. And it's just very schizophrenic mm-hmm. in that regard. Totally. And I think that like it's possible to make that kind of fiction, like with these sort of multi-pronged goals and and elements or episodes or chapters kind of doing the lifting of multiple multiple things or achieving multiple objectives at once. But it's very intricate work. It requires intricate plotting and planning, uh-huh. and as we as we have seen, like from the special episode, like that's not happening. And sadly enough, for a lot of anime, you know, much anime doesn't get that luxury. So I was just going to say, if you want to compare it to something that Trigger has done, obviously completely different stuff. But like, I thought Kill a Kill, despite the fact that I wouldn't say it's like intricately plotted or anything, I think it does a really good job of making you care about the characters while also engaging in that kind of one-upmanship that we see from a lot of these production staffs where they just kind of want things to get bigger and bigger and bigger and then suddenly you're fighting in space that kind of thing and I feel like Darley Fra also wanted to do that but then it it's not even handled with the same finesse that that Kill a Kill was which I, I yeah. actually really like Kill a Kill a lot mm-hmm. and I love the characters in that like the Elite Four are they're so fun they're so good yeah they're so good and but i don't feel that way about any of the characters in darley fra no um for the record my current opinion of the characters is either uh, to the other end which is well bald fists clenched teeth rolling my sleeves up let's go to town (laughs) i I think imaishi has proved on several occasions that he has a really good understanding of how to do that sort of thing like have the like two goals, you know, the the short term goal for the episode and also the big picture goal and make the episode and the characters kind of work to achieve both together. Mm-hmm. So this meeting about the wedding. Ah yes, let's get back <laughs> let's get back to this. Yes, unfortunately. Just try as we might to break free, unfortunately. I mean we're trapped in the bird cage that is this uh part this <laughs> show, if you follow my meaning. But anyway, <clears throat> So there are two principal things that come out of this particular meeting, apart from the fact that Kokoro and Mitsu are going to get married. One of them is that Fatoshi has decided that, you know, he's going to be the Friar Tuck of this particular group of merry men. (laughs) (laughs) The Friars! Dude, hadn't even occurred to me. Amazing. I've been thinking about oh, that for a while. Jesus. He just wears the fucking basket on his head. Yeah, that's all they've got. <laughs> uh even even when Holy he's not shit. actually cooking anything, he still has a cooking utensil with him. H- how does that work? I I really hate like this whole thing right here. How like he does what I would consider essentially the bare minimum, right? Like your friends uh something happy is going on in their lives and it's a girl that you used to dig she rejected you and like he's just like yeah i congratulate you and the show is like yay good job let's throw you a a parade like i think no like you're just you're just doing like the bare minimum what like decency calls for here please don't like sort of imbue this with virtue and nobility it's a bit late to walk this maybe this is just me 
maybe this is just me and I'm not being understanding enough to him in his situation, but it really did just feel like, yeah, that's what you should do. It felt Good. like it was to me. It was just another comedic misfire. It's funny that Fatoshi's in an awkward position that he's put himself in. And okay, there's the bit where you know he's trying to be virtuous and trying to you know be nice for Kokoro and all that. Too little, too late. There's only so far that certain things can walk it back. This does not do it. And it's just this moment where I feel like the show collectively through Goro is like put his put its hand on Futoshi's shoulder and looked at him warmly and nodded. Good job, son. I'm proud of you. It's like Jesus, <laughs> ease up. <laughs> I don't even. So one weird thing that I thought framed this again, like so, I'm, I'm going to go back to plants and flowers a lot, but chlorophytum, which is the the uh, Franks that he pilots with Ikuno, is a. Mm-hmm. If have you ever had a spider plant? I've seen him. That, that's that's what it is, and so basically they're like self reproducing, right? So, like, it, it's basically oh, implying oh. that he and Ikuno are both going to be alone for the rest of the Oh, course. man! Really? <laughs> so, like, yeah, so then then when he stepped up to be the priest role, I was just like, oh, <laughs> ah, see what you did there. Hilarious. Which we can get into Ikuno later in terms of what that means oh, for her and how the show is oh, her. But, bye. Uh, but, yeah, so I was just like, ah, ah. Yeah, that was definitely on purpose. Oh my god. Oh boy. Yeah. So he's so he's father incel, basically. Oh no, you did not just <laughs> I did. Right, so, no, moving on. Incel. Moving on. <laughs> moving on. Jesus Christ, like you know, you've opened the floodgates now. But... I know. God damn it. And mind you, I'm gonna be icing this and I'm totally leaving it in, so I don't know why I'm complaining. Come at me, bros. Bring it on. So let's move on to Ikuno, who I couldn't help but just look at this, like, I've got the actual still frame up here. So as this discussion is happening, everyone's very happy. Ichigo, because she's the one who's tuned into what's going on with the rest of it. Oh, group. but before before this talk actually happens, can, something, can I just point out, like, how are all the boys, like, football superstars? I mean, they're, like, Futoshi and Zorobe and Hiro are, are displaying incredible dribbling skills. Pass. Like they're all, they're all these soccer savants. Apparently, pass. I got nothing. Well, I mean, the girls also sew an entire dress out of curtains. Like they basically channel their inner oh my Scarlett God. O'Hara <laughs> and decide to make dresses out of yes! the curtains. That's all I could think of. I was like, oh, gone with the winds. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> that's amazing. Oh fuck. Franksley, my darling. I don't give See, a damn. Yeah, there you go. You can even throw hey. that in there. Hey, 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 hey I, that was the metadata in our second episode. It's all connected. Oh my! Like, if given how old-fashioned this show appears sometimes, it really wouldn't surprise me if that's all the content that they watched. I'm really, honestly, legitimately surprised. Hasn't been like an early Roseanne reference in this piece of shit. It just <laughs> one point past it. Okay. Oh, right. <laughs> so okay. There's one other thing, which is that Ikuno's looking on, and she's looking like she's either got indigestion or it's just very forlorn. I don't know which of it is. I mean, they have been cooking their own food, so it could very well be the former. Uh, but Ichigo takes notice of this, and that's the setup for um, a scene in a bit. And so the group begins to prepare for the wedding. So Zero Two is talking to Kokoro about making the dress, uh, stuff about our potential, etc., etc. Uh, 
They also make rings, which are knitted together from wire. What a terrible idea. <laughs> oh, that's not the last thing I'll say about the rings, by the way. We'll get to that later. Um, but then there's the scene. The scene between Ichigo and Ikuno that confirms Whew. a long-standing theory that's been there since the beginning and something that I initially wrote off, but, well, it's right here. What more can I say? As usual. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're too mean to me, Doc. You're too mean. But, okay. So Ikuno's moping in bed and Ichigo comes to find her. And they start talking. And Ikuno's like, why are you so interested in me? Now, maybe this is a bit of unintended visual imagery here. Maybe I'm reading into this. But Ikuno's hair clip looks like a butterfly. So at the moment of confession, you know, to Ichigo that she loves her, the butterfly, of course, comes off, flies away. And, you know... Now she's free to talk about who she really is. So that's something, I guess. <laughs> Baby's first symbolism. Yeah. I mean, she's been framed by white lilies since, like, the beach episode. So ah. I that's when I was like, oh, okay, she's gay. Wow. I, You know, boom. who is Frank's design I'm telling for? you, like, this I, show I mean... is super <laughs> on point with flowers. Like, if if you can give it credit for anything, it's that. Like, someone researched what flower to put in this show. Is it, like, is it a normal sort of thing for the Franks demo to be uh, engaged and well-versed in flower language? I would assume not, but... I I wouldn't think so. I mean... So that's why the whole thing just seems so kind of incongruous. But I'm glad it's there. Yeah, you know what? I'm fine with it, I mean... Admittedly, it would probably help if a lot of this meaning was not just solely in the flower stuff, or at least heavily in say I mean, I have to say, Emily, again, thank you so much for being here on this podcast, for just educating myself and Doc <laughs> on how much this symbolism yes. is otherwise lost on us. I mean, my, totally. I my experience with flowers is non-existent. I mean, I go to a flower shop and I think to myself, right, I need flowers. What do I buy? Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Pick the pie tiger by the toe. So if you're trying to pick up a girl, just like for future reference, maybe you want to pay attention to that bit. Because you could actually insult someone if they oh know. God. If they're, if uh, they're oh well God. versed in it. I have, ho- I have homework. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I have homework. Learn flower stuff. Okay. Back to the scene note. Now, this essentially is Ikuno's confession to Ichigo that she is gay and that she loves her. And it, this also explains what you were confused about last time about her slapping Alpha. I was so I was so happy. I felt like they had heard me last episode because it, when she um, kind of contradicted Alpha Nine, I, I just was so baffled. It's like, but but he's saying the thing that you want to say, and it should have occurred to me like that the denial was so unnatural that she was stuffing down her own feelings but i guess i didn't want to like attribute that level of character writing to the show mm-hmm. but but yeah you know she is totally with him about the whole uh gender thing being an inconvenience and the franks being piloted by pistol stamen man woman being like well so i mean she hates it but like the thing like i kind of hate about this scene is the way that i was reading it was less that she was like the system is broken and we need to change it it was more like i am broken yeah i am a pain i mm-hmm. i am at fault i 
I mean, it's it's who I am, and so I love it. But like, yeah, it felt like she the the onus of blame she was placing it on herself rather than like the system. I mean, it, it she does a kind of a general like, I I I hate it. It's it's bad. But like, I feel like m- mostly she is saying I'm doomed to a life of pain and loneliness. You, well, what because is, I am this way, Emily. As you said about chlorophyce. I mean, if you've ever had a spider plant, it's very easy to reproduce it. So, um, but anyway, <laughs> actually, if you if you don't trim them, it, it kind of gets quite unwieldy. But yeah, I think for this scene, I actually didn't have as many issues with it as I thought I was going to based on the preview. Mm. I think a lot of the stuff, the self-loathing um, was very relatable to me personally. The the mm. whole way that Ichigo responds, where she can only respond through her own frame of reference, which is unfortunate yeah. because it, in a way, equates her crush on Hiro, which is more socially acceptable in the world of Franks, to Ikuno's crush on uh, Ichigo, which is has been set up as not as socially acceptable. Um, I think in a different show one with more nuance and framing when it comes to these relationships that it wants to discuss, I think this scene would actually be totally fine. It's more that just just the way... So, like, the scene in a vacuum is is actually fine. Like, I was like, okay, this is, you know, it's very, it's very relatable to me. I get it. It hurts. It sucks. Ichigo's comforting her in the way that she... The only way that she really knows how, right? Because she can only mm-hmm. view... Ikuno's, unfortunately, she can only view Ikuno's pain through her own experiences. And it never comes off mm-hmm. as her being magnanimous. It never comes off as her being patting her on the head and being like, oh, you know, it'll be okay. I never got that attitude from Ichigo either. I yeah. think she's very mm-hmm. genuine in her response. Um, I even yep. have seen commentary that she's leaving it open for a relationship, which I don't agree with. But it, no. it's you could read into it if you really wanted to. Mm. that's how that's how kind of open-ended her response is right so she's not i didn't i didn't get any sense of like her patronizing you know whatsoever she's definitely validating her feelings she's definitely considering uh ikuno as like a complete person um however in this specific show a scene like that is unfortunately like the the show itself doesn't set it up very well and that is where I think a lot of people are having issues with this scene. Um, because mm-hmm. I do think, again, in a vacuum, it's it's fine. But it's not in a vacuum. It's with the rest of the show, which has been, in my opinion, just in general, very inconsistent about how it views even the world itself. Like when it wants to do world building in terms of this dystopian kind of sexless society, it then has the beach episode where suddenly everyone's doing like, the typical anime tropey fan service stuff, which is whatever, it's fine. Like I don't, I actually don't have a huge issue with fan service generally. Um, it's just kind of there and whatever. And I know it's not necessarily meant for me as a viewer, but um, it's hmm. it's weird if you put that in a show that's also trying to say something, or if it's establishing the idea that this society has not trained these kids to think that way. It's kind of mm. like some of the issues that I have, even though I love the game, with uh, Persona 5, where uh, one of the characters, after the first arc, oh he suddenly turns into, like, walking anime stereotype best friend, where in the first arc, he's actually very 
genuine and and honest and really stands up for his friends and really cares about these people who are being abused by the system and then suddenly mm -hmm. he has to turn into an anime joke for the the game to tell it the jokes that it wants to and so it's kind of like that like mm -hmm. that kind of inconsistency uh in framing is what leads this scene to i think come off as a little sour to certain people mm-hmm including myself yeah uh, Ryoji, despite the fact that i think Ryuji's so yeah the so scene itself the is beginning funny. of that game <laughs> mm. so for me with this scene like there's a couple of like things i, I felt like i wanted to say about it but i'm just gonna not say them because ultimately i'm just again being cautious of my own blind spot as a as a straight uh guy one thing that i do want to say from a writing perspective though is that as you rightly and very astutely point out there emily in a different show I think that there would be some very serious potential to be mined from this idea of some sort of military organization where gender pairing that's heterosexual that permeates life and, you know, relations, as it is in Franks, is, you know, ubiquitous. And yet there is a character or characters who don't fall into that norm who are trying to express themselves and live their lives inside that system to strain against and hopefully then break out against. I mean, that's true for a lot of people, even outside the military, I'd argue. Like, not necessarily that there are strict laws, but just perceptions, uh, you know, now I, is not the time for me to tell people that I am gay or I am a lesbian, etc. So this scene, as you said, I think to me feels fine in the vacuum, but it also left me very wanting. Because there's no, at least this far, I mean, maybe they'll do something later, but there's no real follow-up or discussion. Like, Ichigo does never, doesn't example, discuss, like, with Ikuno that the Franks is just one thing and there's other things. Again, it's a limited perspective thing, so I get that. But I just feel like they could have gotten so much more out of this rather than, you know, she's come out as a lesbian and that's good and that's great and I'm glad that they had that talk, but what are they going to do with it now? I mean, we've said before about character moments in this show, like kind of just tailing off. Goro's episode, for example, like what's happened with Goro since then? Nothing. That that could be that could be unfortunately related to other real life problems. Mm. Yeah, he's quite ill, right, or something. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, his his voice actor. Yeah, yeah. I I will concede with that. Um, Zorame being another though, and well, Zorame still his usual shouty self, so he's definitely not sick. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. So here's here's a question I have, like about about this whole scene. Um, like, and and maybe the answer is is neither because the show's not really capable of of trying to do these things. But like, I think like is it trying to guide us to feel that like clearly we're supposed to feel for Ikuno, mm -hmm. but like, are we supposed to feel that she's part of uh this con totally contingent and arbitrary setup and she shouldn't have to be feeling this sort of thing and and her her being a lesbian you know should be the sort of thing that is affirmed by society and she should have a path to happiness and fulfillment or are we supposed to feel bad for her because she's this broken outlier and reality like that the system isn't contingent right that this is like how things are and you know there's no there's no path to happiness for her, so woe is her for being born or queer or choosing to be queer. Like, the show has that point of view. I know that that's not... Like, what... 
so like yeah i mean what i feel like that's really important like what I mean, point that's of kind view of the issue that the show has had the entire time unfortunately yeah. is that yeah. like i don't think it realizes the kind of gravity that yeah and nuance that is required from certain relationships like this and it also isn't helpful that we've seen nuanced queer relationships in other series that have been handled well so uh that's i mean i'm sure that's in a lot of viewers minds as well but i think the main issue is that i don't even know i can't say one way or the other how the show wants us to view it because i think it's honestly just kind of like oh and this is her character and this was gonna come to your head and now we <laughs> move on like which is kind of what the Here's show, the like that the show's been very consistent in treating like every character like that you know like it's just kind of like okay climax and scene and then we move on to the next thing and in a narrative that requires a little bit more attention um, it's going to come across as a lot worse right because yep. Ikuno isn't like Ichigo but the the series only frame of reference is that she is so yeah it's uh mm. it's just unfortunate i guess like i don't again like i don't ascribe to the idea that the show is being like really purposefully malicious or anything like that because i think it's sure, just been yeah. so it's been so inconsistent and so like this is not out of the way they treat this character moment is not out of place with the way it's treated literally every other character moment for everyone mm -hmm. even hero and zero two as we talked about like after the show is done with their emotional climax they both kind of remember yay and we move on like so yeah all character moments are just the techno cancer <laughs> oh laid out again. don't talk to me about that <laughs> just it just disappears from his body and then no one ever talks about it again but he has horns <sighs> To answer your question, Doc, for me personally, without making it a binary thing, I'm leaning towards your second explanation, which is not a societal discussion. Because the only mention of society is from Ikuno. There's no response from Ichigo on that. They don't frame it about, like, you know, this being a repressive state or anything like that. And by howdy do I have some things to say about, you know, the fact they don't discuss... Get to it later. Fist in mouth. Just don't go let go yet, because I'm going to get mad later on. I'm going to get mad. But... <laughs> I do think, like, as I said before, I think both of Emily's threads uh, there that you suggested would be amazing things if they actually took the time to, you know, go through it with the characters. But, but no. Nah. I mean, here's the thing, right? If this scene had not happened, I would not have known. Because at this point, Akuno's fine and she's participating in the wedding. And that's it. It exists in a vacuum, almost. It's a thing that happens and then later on it's not even felt in the same episode. So... Hooray. Maybe they'll come back to it in some way. Six episodes to go. Clocks are uh, ticking. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, so, after all that, they decide to decorate the place. Take pictures. Why the fuck do they still have these old-ass cameras in the future? Why do they have paint there? <laughs> Where did they get the paint? So Zorame can paint the he's, what, the he arrived or whatever on the wall. Oh, sorry. Yes, sorry. Oh, yes. That was yes. great. That was great. Can I just say, Zoroman and Miku are like the most consistent characters in this entire show. Like, they're sure they're like one note characters, but they're very fun one note characters. They're really enjoyable. 
Well, yeah, they are. I mean, when I say Zorame's gonna Zorame, I say it with a certain amount of affection, because I do enjoy <laughs> it when Zorame Zorame's. Little yapping dog. Oh, bless him. So, mm-hmm. okay, that's all happened, and then Zero Two is doing some stuff in her room, and then, then it goes into, you know, what was it, Drag Me to Hell by Sam Raimi? <laughs> right. Yeah, this... Right, the haunting. Yeah, Evil Dead, because I don't know if this is... I mean, Zero Two hears a noise, and I think it's the Klaxosaur Princess slash Sarah Kerrigan's, you know, psionic scream that triggers this. I don't know, though, because we don't get an establishing shot of the princess doing this, so whatever. But um, Zero Two starts hallucinating that, you know, all the people she's consumed are coming back, including my favourite character from the show, Mr. Oxygen Mask Man. <laughs> Exactly, yep, yep. He's back as well. Not seen, not seen him since the first episode. His glorious return. What a, what a character. My favourite, easily. So they're all pouring out her, trying to drag her into this pit. Um, there's also a scene of the giant Klaxosaur hand, and then Zero Two wakes up after Hero The baby hand. Talk to the hand. Smash. So Zero Two wakes up, and Hero's there, is like, everything okay? And she's like, I guess I dozed off for a bit. Do they talk about what happened? Is this relevant to the characters in any way other than just, oh my god, Zero Two's got memories of stuff? Nah. Like, not now at the very least. Might be, might be later, perhaps, but, you know, if it doesn't immediately affect her right now, like, she just comes out and is like, oh, it's fine, I was just dreaming. What does it matter? Well, so I think, like, she's kind of suppressing how much it shook her. That was the impression I got from the kind of character acting and the voice acting. Yeah, that she, a little bit, that she was really putting on an extra happy face in that moment. And uh, it got Hero distracted. It feels like it's not really been led up to, though. Like, this, I don't know. Something feels a bit off about it. Maybe they'll go somewhere with it. Who can say? It just felt a bit strange that there was no build-up since suddenly she is now having these very visceral um, hallucinations. Mm -hmm. Then again, I don't even know if it's necessarily her that's triggering it. Yeah, did they... Did they do one of these before? No, not to not my that knowledge. I remember. Yeah, I think it's another one of those weird things where it's like we want to show that Zero Two is still suffering from PTSD, and now that she's, you know, now that she's a changed person, this is really weighing on her. Which again is mm, fine. Yeah. Would be fine if we had some sort of, some sort of, you know, lead up to this uh, at all. Yeah. Right. Because it's not. It's not like you couldn't have shown this in previous episodes when she's been, you know, like her and Hero are together every night and it makes a point to show like how cute they are together and like their drawings and stuff like that. You could very easily show... You know what I'd have done? I would have actually, you know, when Zero Two's drawing, if you wanted to show this, maybe have her have a drawing she doesn't show to Hero that's of the people she's killed. Yeah, or, or something. Like it's, again, like this is... I get what they're going for, but it just doesn't work because there hasn't been any sort of build up to it. Like, it totally makes sense for her to be suffering from PTSD, like, for sure. It'd be weird if she mm-hmm. didn't. I could have sworn that there is one moment in the last two episodes that was not, ex- not you know, exactly the same as this by any means, but like, I could have sworn that she, like, heard them in the distance or something. She like heard, that. she heard the scream of the. Of Sarah Kerrigan, the Klaxosaur Princess. It was mm-hmm. that was it, though. Yeah, but no, but no, um, no people, no post, no, no post traumatic stress. It, it, yeah, in fact, if that is the case, that it's Sarah Kerrigan triggering this through the you know psychic screen, 
then it's not even zero to suffering PTSD. She's just being forced to live through this or it's being triggered in her by an outside fact that's not related to her own trauma. So yeah. even then it's kind of pointless if that's the case. Well, I mean, maybe you could argue that, you know, the reason she's able to be manipulated that way is because there is some latent regret. Mm, and, yeah. And stuff, are you know, in her mind that is just being kind of drawn out and pulled out. So, that, that you know, maybe, it, hopefully it's not like wholly manufactured. One can hope. So, next scene. And <laughs> if ever I needed a reminder that Franks does not do subtlety very well... This scene, this scene is of Zero Two and Hero going through the Sakura trees and talking about the future. It's all very sweet and charming. And Zero Two is wearing the missile time the hat. Yeah, the missile time uniform and hat. And I was there watching this scene, and my live reaction was, "Oh, that's a really nice detail that she's now wearing the clothes, and that way she's a truly become a part of the you know the group." And then Hero spells it out to the audience. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> It could have been, like, a nice moment of subtlety there. I mean, we've said before about, like, you know, the whole idea of her changing her um, Frank's outfit after the, you know, it was dissolved in that really dumb episode of many dumb Oh, episodes. my God. Yeah. I forgot that happened. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I had. A lot has happened in the show. Oh, the, like, acid eating the clothes only. God. Yeah. Wow. What a thing that was, hey? Um, but, but the hat, though. Hey. The hat was so cute. The hat, hey, look, right, girls girls and ladies in berets and military hats, they always look fantastic. And Zero Two looks great. She's had a strong hat game throughout the show. You're right. Yeah, she has. I much prefer this one to the, like, pseudo-military hat. I mean, I like that one, too. It just, like, there are connotations. And with this one, it's just pure cuteness, no connotations. Mm-hmm. So, one thing, like, this is all very sweet and all, and again, like, you know, we're all very happy, so obviously things are going to go very badly wrong in the coming minutes of the show, or the next episode, etc, etc. And Hero says, do you remember how we were going to marry all those years ago, too? And I'm like, do you? <laughs> like... <laughs> do they actually... I mean, that's actually a pertinent question. Do they remember? They do, like... One thing I did want to point out about this scene is that it is the opening scene of the show as well. Oh, like in in episode one, this is the opening scene of oh. the entire show. It's it's been so long. I mean, my memory's terrible. But hmm. Wow. We really have the Persona Five M ADS Res thing going on here. You know, <laughs> we're just gonna. It's just gonna literally like you know start having that. And then hero's gonna <laughs> hero's gonna be interrogation room. Be like, How did you know? <laughs> How did you know your memories have been changed? <laughs> Nana looks on the floor and sees the needle. <laughs> oh, God. need you to tell me everything you know. Fast. I don't have a lot of time. <laughs> this, oh, my God. This, like, I'm just now thinking of who would be um, catchy in this particular group, and my immediate thoughts go oh, to... Oh, Christ. It would have to be Fatoshi. <laughs> The, yeah, yeah. Sell, selling him as a uh, a hot television personality detective would be that'd be something to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so after that, the wedding's all you know set up and ready to go. I do have to say, like something struck me as odd about this whole wedding setup here, in that the only information they have about the existence of weddings and marriage is not from the library that they themselves have, because 
I don't think they wouldn't, of course, have it in there much as they didn't have anything about, you know, sex or reproduction. It's from Zero Two's drawings from The Beast and the Prince. And the marriage page in Beast and the Prince is one page long, and all they know is there's a priest and there's a couple. And somehow Hero still knows all of this, like, the whole ritual till death we- does do part, which is a Christian thing. Um, so when you when you eat the pages like zero two did <laughs> you learn the extra everything. knowledge yes you yeah. learn the, all the context i mean how did they know there would be an aisle for a wedding for example or, or a pulpit for that matter uh, or like that they had wrote like it's laid out traditionally but they shouldn't know this they should it should it should be very much their own thing and it kind of half is like meets through sees the bride before going down to the aisle himself of course so that's different by bad luck well, <laughs> oh god, very bad luck. But they don't know that, do they? Oh well, <laughs> they do now. After this episode is done, not one of them's ever getting married. Proven to be, proven to be like a true metaphysical force in the world. Indeed. So, you know, Kokoro comes down the stairs and there's Meat Street pacing back and forth, thinking, "Have I got time to finally bail out of this whole mess? You know, can I make a break for it? <laughs> do you think he's like having cold feet for real? for real?" <laughs> no, he had a love bother me. He doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, oh, whatever. You know, why not while I'm here? I mean, we've already got past second base at this point. Anything else is just window dressing. <laughs> but I have to say, like, I did actually like the dialogue here. Like, Ray says he couldn't look at her directly. He said, don't ask the impossible. I'm like, that's cute. That's sweet. Mm-hmm. That's sweet and all. This is all good. Um, Ikuno's gotten over her own little problems because she hands them all flowers. I don't know where they got the idea of flowers from, by the way, because the flowers thing... Then again, they don't actually get so, so far as tossing them, so, you know, maybe they just gave it some because it was something nice. Who can say? But yes, here comes the bride. Here comes the bride. You know, everyone's ringing bells, and Hatchie's watching on the monitor, and he's just like, <laughs> change the channel! Change the channel! I, I want to watch Holmes under the hammer! He wanted but- <laughs> to avoid the royal wedding, but he can't. Nope. He's got two weddings to choose from. <laughs> so, however, though, that being said, he gets a Skype call, uh, one that he didn't really want to receive from uh, Nine Alpha, you know. And Nine Alpha's like, we're going to come crash this party. And, it, you know, Hatchie's like offering some token questioning here, but I just, at this point, don't think he really cares one way or the other. I'm honestly surprised at this point he's just not sipping a beer while this is going on. So, indeed, Nine Alpha and a load of troops arrive, and this is kind of an intercut scene going back and forth between the troops heading towards the schoolhouse as Fitoshi mumbles his way through, you know, what he thinks is the you know, <laughs> process of doing this. Because he's still, like, you know, got the hots for Kokoro, and he's like, well, <clears throat> he's like, you know, thinking, God, is there anything I could do to stop this? And sure enough, eventually, you know, the guards do end up storming and break up the wedding. And because my head cannon is terrible... I thought to myself that this is how it went. So in the forest, you've got the guards who can see the wedding, and one was going, Sir, sir, should we go in now? And he's like, no, no, wait. There's a moment. There's a moment. And then Fatoshi's going... Well, he has a flair for the dramatic. Yeah, like, and Fatoshi goes, does anyone here present know who shall, you know, any reason why this marriage should not proceed? And then there's a sound of P90s clicking everywhere. He's like, go, go, go! <laughs> I was it, it. I was hoping that they would have the speak now or forever hold your peace 
line. And then they just come storming in, yeah. Yeah. Kick the door down. I mean, I, if I were write, if I were writing this, what had then had happened is as a joke, I would have had Vitoshi just hold his hand up very meekly. Like, after they've all stormed in, I've got their guns pile everywhere. I do too. <laughs> just saying. Poor Zorame. Like, he didn't even, they were like, if you move and you die. And then he's just like, what's going on? And they just fucking clock him. Yeah. <laughs> just no. no questions asked, immediately destroy him with the butt of a gun. And then, like, and then he, Futoshi tells him to run? What the hell is, what? Run? Like, this is, what? It's so bizarre. Like, because it just doesn't fit. Like, they, they've been so unquestioning of their authority for basically the entire time. And now they're going to run while they're still in Mistleton, still under the watch of hachi and everyone like what do they even think they're maybe i'm thinking too rationally about this like and they're kind of in the heat of the moment but it he white beat streets get gunned down that's it (laughs) (laughs) maybe they'll shoot (laughs) run beats through there's no way this can possibly hurt you oh my god he died well what's a tragedy Oh man. So yes, the wedding is broken up. Mitsu and Kokoro are separated and are taken away. There is also uh, a really, really cool fight scene between Zero Two and the Nines, which mm-hmm. she loses because she was outnumbered nines to one. Let's go home. <laughs> Show's over. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but I was waiting for that. But in all seriousness, I really like this fight scene. It was really well animated. It it looked great. Might have preferred if Zero Two got some stray hits off on the nines rather than just mm-hmm. simply being completely overpowered. Um, but it also makes sense why she was overpowered because again, simply outnumbered. So that's how these things go. A lot of a uh, lot of karate chops attempted <laughs> in this fight. They all have the same fighting style, which I guess makes sense since they're all part of the nines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, do we want to address some of the controversial, like, interpretations of this, or shall we simply move on on the assumption that, you know, some people read it some way and some will not? Because what's, lot... what's the what's the controversy? The controversy is that this is a straight-out-and-out attack on heterosexuality, and it's been, you know, we've got the villains, like I've said before, the nines in one corner who are the queer, unknowable, like, strange folk, and Papa, the faceless, sexless, you know, no, you know, What's it called again? Did someone Abs- did someone call my name? <laughs> it's me, Papa. I'm always behind this mask. The <laughs> Wizard of Oz himself. Go Lakers. <laughs> pop, pop, Papa out. <laughs> Papa out. Because um, I've seen some people offer interpretations like that, you know, this is... Because obviously they're very villainized at this point in the nines. There's no, no game past that. Like, they're almost cartoon characters in an anime. You know, I get that. But anyway... Um, and as Emily has rightly pointed out, I can't really totally ascribe one way or another. I mean, I, in the previous episode, went off on one about Zero Two, you know, whole can't have kids statement. But there were a lot, there's a lot of content in that episode that I didn't comment on because I couldn't figure out one way or the other. And I don't know if this either. So, so let me ask you to repeat, like, so the, the, the controversy is that they've, feel like this episode is an attack on heterosexuality yeah because you know we've got the he- you know happy couple being interrupted in a wedding by the you know the gay anti-het police is what i've read somewhere wait a minute i thought i thought the um i, I thought the opinion had come out that the show 
itself was like a piece of conservative. No, that that's the entire point because the the, the bad guy, like guys in shops, are the bad guys. They're the villains. Like, look at these terrible people who are unusual and sexless. You know, interrupting this, you know, pure and holy, you know, ritual of marriage between a loving couple who have just consummated it. Ah, I see. I see. So, okay. So the thing I was, I keep wondering: Are we supposed to hate the system? And it it would seem like on on this reading of it, you're positing like we are mm-hmm. supposed to hate it because it it spoils the natural outcome of uh, the best kind of relationship, the het marriage. Uh huh. Okay. Well, but the system also uh, makes it impossible for gay people to be happy. You know. This was something I was going to bring up with Akuno, but I ultimately decided not to, but I feel like I want to address it. This... The, the system also forces partnerships upon people. Yeah. Like the, par- the partner swap thing was a, entirely unique to this squad, and uh, Kokoro got to choose a new partner, someone who she was ultimately happy with, just because they kind of circumvented the system. Well, the thing is, the partner swap thing was proposed, though, by the system. Well, no, I think I. So one thing I will say is that I think the show has set up, and I'm I'm not like making excuses or siding one way or the other because I honestly don't. I don't think the show has been clear enough about it one way or the other. Mm-hmm. I can certainly see why people would see that. I didn't personally, but I think the thing with the system in and of itself is that Doctor Franks, as far as I'm concerned. The show has set him up as working outside of the system. So if you're talking yes, about totally. the system in and of itself, you're excluding him, everything he's done mm-hmm. with this squad itself. So hmm. the nines are with Papa and the um, and the Ape Council and all that stuff. But within the that system, there is a subsystem of experimentation that Franks was exacting on squad 13 so he Mm. is basically he himself is working outside of the system so Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah i'm not i'm not sure at this point if franks is actually working against ape's interests or not or if he's just got his own thing going like you know he's doing the hojo thing from final fantasy 7 yeah i'm not sure i don't think he like feels super passionately about one thing or the other it seems to me more that he's just like this kind of chaotic like I can experiment on these kids, which isn't much better. It makes him a right asshole, to be quite honest. But, like, it's not... I don't even get a sense that he's, like, trying to fight the system. No, not at all. I think he just is interested in, like, I think like Hojo, right? Uh, interested in knowledge. Yeah, mm. like, he's just like, okay, I have this I have this squad. What happens if I plant literature about making babies and actually allow them to go through mm-hmm. puberty and experience sexuality? Like what happens next which because yeah i think it's just been so long that they've had the system in place it it feels that and and i think frank said outright a couple of episodes ago like when he can't you know officially canceled the experiment that the idea of it was to learn more about human sexuality human reproduction and things leading up to that Mm -hmm. and i think that's all he could yeah i agree that i don't think he's like interested in opposing papa or really interested in like carrying out his will he just has the sort of you know like what's the phrase looking for like he's he's only about the it's all for science yeah for the science (laughs) yes progress you know with allegiance to no one Uh uh-huh 
don't know, like, six episodes from the end of this, I feel like we should really have some clearly defined battle lines, both in terms of who's fighting who and why they're fighting and what the ideological differences behind that are. Uh, I don't know. Like, the society is the way it is because it is. I mean, there's some allusions later by the Robo Bishops, but at this point they might as well be speaking... Or, or rather, I might as well turn the subtitles off whenever I watch the scenes of the Robo Bishops. It oh doesn't make a difference at this point. I'm so done with all of their <laughs> Yeah, <circuitous> the entire... <laughs> so, like, they're just really weird because the whole, like, I think, and I'm not, I'm not positive on this, but, like, I think this is what you're supposed to take away from the last two scenes with them. The one where they go to Sarah Kerrigan, they're like surrender and then she basically laughs at them and then the one guy attacks her while she like screams Mm -hmm. and one of them hears it and the other doesn't and then when she like kicks off his mask there's obviously nothing underneath and then the uh the robo bishops in this episode are discussing one of them discusses like yes we will finally be able to like leave our bodies completely behind Mm -hmm. But that so like some of them are visibly uncomfortable with that and others aren't. So I think we're supposed to infer that some of them are already like without any sort of physical body, which is like, again, like I have no idea where the show is going with this in terms of how it even relates to anything else. And like what it like what it means, how it ties into the system outside of the fact that like they they basically pillage their own young in order to keep themselves alive Mm -hmm. to to me like the um the desire like a like a hard sort of mind body dualism and the kind of like no the body is inferior we need to it's it's a hue it's a shell we can truly be ourselves if we like rid ourselves of the body it tracks well in my mind it makes Mm -hmm. sense as like the end goal of this system that's trying to scrub out things like sex and gender and kind of living according to like human emotion and things like that. They're all very sort of thing. They're things tied to our physical bodies. Why then have the Franks have the missionary positions though? <laughs> like if they Man, want to, I don't know. If they want to scrub out Dr. The whole Franks sex- is just a wild card. He just, he, he, yeah. uh, he did those, right? Like he, he was yeah, he did. He's into robots. it. Yeah. Oh yeah. man. We, we, I've got to get something about him in a bit as well because it confirmed something I suspected last episode. And ah, but anyway. I just <clears> want <throat> the Claxosaur Princess Sarah Kerrigan character to just come and like destroy everyone. Like that's my end goal for this. Yeah. For this series, <laughs> I'm just yeah, rooting, just you, get it I'm rooting for her. You want you want the bad end? Yeah, like I am on the side of chaos. <laughs> I I am with Sarah Kerrigan. I'm with you on that. <laughs> I think that, like I've said before, though, like with this whole, you know, reading into it as an attack on heterosexuality and therefore, you know, the conservative act, you get the idea. Like, you just then suggested, Emily, about the, and Doc, about the ideas, like, you know, of uploading to the bodies, like, you know, they're not there. So I wouldn't, again, mind, much as with Akudo stuff, you know, if it took the time to discuss this idea of transhumanism. But there really seems like at times they're throwing darts at the board and seeing what sticks. Like, okay, I'm going to throw this episode, Kuno is gay, 
and also there's a wedding like you know it just feels like a random hodgepodge of stuff that they put together almost like the plots of each episode are generated by a youtube algorithm or something <laughs> recommended for your plot points like a little grid the same the 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 kids yes. show algorithm on youtube <laughs> yeah I mean, I think that's why, like, so in a lot of, like, I mentioned how the flower symbolism has always been really on point, which is kind of a random thing to pay attention to, right? Like, if you're going to, if you're going to use all of these things and, and frame it, like, you know, with stuff like the golden bough or arguably origin of species, which uh, is something I caught on from, like, mistletoe usage and the pistol stamen reproduction thing uh, right right um the the idea that you then <laughs> what i'm sorry i just had this like <laughs> what if the last episode papa takes off his mask and just like hello i'm charles Darwin. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> that would be incredible i would be I would fucking be- it would be like Escaflone when the Emperor, have you, has any, uh, spoilers for Escaflone, the main bad guy, the Emperor in Escaflone is Isaac fucking Newton. What? Yeah. <laughs> Isaac Newton discovered another dimension, or no, just another another world or something. Uh, I, you know made what? Made himself immortal. <laughs> my, my two cents, my two cents, Dr. Franks, he says, at the very end, he takes off his mask and goes, you know, Dr. Werner Franks is not my name. I was once known as Dr. Sigmund Freud. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, it would ex- make so much sense with this shit he's been pulling. Like, it really would. Um. Yeah, but anyway, I was just saying how, like, it just, it doesn't, I can totally see, and I'm not trying to uh, talk down to anyone who sees it that way, because I think that's actually a very viable interpretation of the show. But I also think that it's, in my opinion, almost giving it too much credit for what it is doing, which, like, the show has been really consistent in bringing up all of these character moments and then dropping them, bringing up all of this symbolism and then kind of dropping it or leaving it to just hang there without, like, any sort of definitive commentary one way or the other. So then we're left to interpret all this subtext but even the subtext in and of itself is not consistent in my opinion so it's like Mm -hmm. like if you have a show that you want it to be like all subtext in a really awesome way that says really cool things about like the queer experience watch something like yuri kuma arashi where i was gonna say call ikuhara yeah where like the show takes a lot of storytelling elements from that but then doesn't apply them in a way that means much like what is what is uh zero two being a monster even supposed to mean like does it stand for anything just like another another branch of humanity like the zerg actually exist in this in this land like what what is the claxasaur princess supposed to be like they haven't said anything so it doesn't it doesn't mean much when you're looking at it. Like, whereas Yurikuma, there are very specific ideas behind what is a bear? What is a human? What does this mean? What does this stand for? What is a man? A miserable little pile of secrets. What does this say in regards to with its subtext? Whereas 
even visually, there are moments where what is going on visually and visual framing doesn't match up with what the characters are saying at all, and it just makes no sense. So I think that that is the main issue that I've had with this show since, like, the midpoint, is it just doesn't... It keeps kind of spinning its wheels and throwing all of this stuff in, but none of it really means a lot when you kind of take it all in context of its like other yep. parts of the show if that makes sense like like i'll posit this question to you guys like what is zero two being half claxosaur supposed to mean nothing no I'm, I'm i'm dead serious with that because as i've said before like zero two when she was younger was red and looks different and now she looks mostly human but her being half claxosaur is you know a burden to her but she doesn't look that different from humans. like and then nine alphas like you know playing it being human but i'm like you know, Alpha, have you looked at the guys next to you and the other guys next to you? You do not look that different. You don't even have the horns. You look more human than Zero Two does. They have the translucent horns. Oh yeah, the LED ones, the, the rave ones, you know, whenever they go out clubbing. <laughs> <laughs> like, so that doesn't make any sense. Honestly, I think that they've crowbarred it in just as a, a way to, as you said, try and throw something at the wall, see what sticks. If they really wanted to do something with that, they should have made Zero Two look like an adult version of her younger self with red skin, so she does look like a devil, and that way it might then have had more meaning about it, about being a monster, perhaps. But as it stands at the moment, she's just a girl with horns. Er, no, sorry, that comes into direct conflict with character merchandise selling. <laughs> yes. We need her to have regular but skin her, red, her little, sorry. like, red self as a kid was so adorable. I yeah, that that would sell a lot of merchandise. <laughs> the, the kid version would absolutely actually come to but fate. Yeah, people people want their people probably or want like their Sarah Kerrigan. To be not I would red. buy a Sarah Kerrigan figure. She looks badass. She's so <laughs> cool. I'm just trying to get in the mind of <laughs> them. I'm not speaking for for me. I totally support the Sarah Kerrigan figure industry <laughs> and and all things in and around it. All right, here's. Here's my theory for what what it means, the half-human, half-clagosaur. All right. Horns are cool <laughs> on a woman. Put that out there with my first... Fate Granddaughter has been doing that recently, so that's yeah. the first salvo. Uh, um, abusive pasts are good story, but you... Don't have to be half clacks to sort of have that, so that doesn't work. I mean, there's uh, to say they all, all have abusive past. <laughs> yes, that's it. That's everything. No, I, I'm. T- I'm. C- it. It really. Yeah, they have not supplied any kind of um, larger meaning to to this, like beyond sort of the plot itself and the outline of it. Yeah, like it doesn't. It's not really. There's in episode in episode five there was this really great kind of uh allusion to okay there's going to be some kind of talk about like what it means to be human through this person zero two because she had that stare down with ikuno and they talked about that sort of thing i'm sorry not ikuno ichigo uh and they talked about that uh but then it just never comes up again no yeah and it's not like if they wanted to say, like, okay, this is about, like, being of a different race or being just a different thing. Oh, God, don't, like, don't type. even. No, but what I'm saying is if they wanted to do that, 
they could have, but they don't even do that. Like it's not yeah. like they it's not like the kids are discriminatory against Zero too. Like they don't like her because of her attitude, not because of like what she looks like. Like they're yeah. they're kind of afraid of her and once they learn more about her then they're even more afraid of her. Yeah. Because of rumors, not because she's like looks different. Yeah. They're afraid of her reputation. Yeah. The whole like killing killing the co-pilot yeah, yeah which i, I mean totally understandable but like <laughs> yeah I, I i wasn't i mean i was just thinking that emily when you said that like i'm trying to imagine this show handling race relations as a theme and no just no no absolutely not i'm very glad it doesn't dip its toes into that thank christ since we're on the topic of questions about the show's purpose i want to throw something out there so sarah kerrigan the in Frank's that is why is she in this show because she wasn't a thing prior to the you know the end of the part one bit so she's a relatively new addition why is she here okay all right horns are cool (laughs) the color blue is quite nice I enjoyed Tron (laughs) uh that's it that's all I got I've got it are you ready okay so she is a former human who worked with Ape, but then was captured by Klaxosaurus. Oh, the character. Yeah. queen. I told yeah. you I was going to do this. I am predicting yes. her entire backstory and future based on the story of Sarah yeah. Kerrigan. So yeah, that's it. And then she's go. And then she like overthrew them and became her own person. But now she's realized how corrupt the Ape Council are. So she opposes them, and it has become involved in this incredibly long war that has lasted years slash centuries we don't really know concept of time is very you know sketchy in this show yeah yeah but yeah so that that's where they're going with it and like the reason why ape, i don't know why ape asked her to surrender that just made absolutely no sense but um i guess it was an excuse to like fight her more in in earnest i'm not really sure hmm but yeah, anyway, it's going to end with like a giant fight with her leading the Claxosaurs and Squad 13 is going to join her side because they disagree with Ape and that's going to be the, the the final battle of the show. Something like that. Who who are the nines in the StarCraft version of this? Oh, uh, mm. I'm going to say Aldaris and the Conclave. Are they, are they the Protoss? They are, they are, the, <laughs> they are Aldaris and the Conclave. That, no, but they're the bad guys, right? Don't the Protoss join the other two races? Uh, no, Aldaris and the Conclave are the, you know, strictly regimented, you must follow the rules, and you, Tassadar, have gone against the rules, and we must find you and kill you. You will not side with the Dark Temple. That's the closest analogy I can think of. They're the, you know, the wankers from the Protoss before they die at the end of the first campaign. <laughs> That's my guess. Does that sound right, Emily? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. The reason I asked this question about Sarah Kerrigan, or Sarah Franksigan, I suppose, whatever you are called, Sarah Claxigan. <laughs> Sarah Franks. Sarah Claxigan. Oh is, my god. <laughs> is, um, I'm going to sideways into a different franchise now, which is Star Trek. So, in Star Trek we had the Borg. And the Borg did not have a centralised figure until Star Trek First Contact, when the Borg Queen was introduced. And that was a bad idea. For the show, that is, because the reason the Borg were terrified was because there was no one 
individual that you could point to as a figurehead. They were just a mass. They were a swarm of locusts, essentially. And the Kraxasaurs, while not on anywhere near the same level of threatening, you know, as, as being as threatening as the Borg, had that kind of thing going for them. They were, you know, I complained they were kind of a natural force we didn't know what they were doing, but you know what, since the show... They're sh- shaped like common household items. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but But since the show's been, like, leaning more and more towards, you know, that the actual authority is the true villains here, I mean, say what you will about the Klaxosaurs, but they're not the ones, you know, being accused of, you know, being anti-hair or anything like that. They're just the force of nature. They're just creeps in World of Warcraft, you know, we gotta kill them to level up, get some loot. Um, but adding Sarah Kerrigan in to this show puts a figurehead in there, and we're already this close to the end now, and the bad guys are the authority, so why is she here? I I don't understand why she's here, and it kind of puts a face on an enemy that didn't need them. I mean, I think that you could very well be right, Emily, in that, you know, they are going to join with her. Yeah, I'm going to say maybe they just needed a face so that when Squad 13 inevitably rebels, which they're they're definitely, like, that's yeah. the setup at the end of this episode, right? Is like, Hero, for like the fifth time, is like, we have had enough! Like, <laughs> Oh, don't even get me started! <laughs> um, but this time he means it. Uh, this is really, really the last straw. Yeah. I'm um, so mad at what happens at the end of this. So I think... <laughs> I think that's it, right? Like, they're going to... They're, if they discover through Zero Two, I assume, through some sort of psychic claxosaur con- connection, oh, they're oh, going to go oh. to the, the Sarah Kerrigan figure and they're going to ask for her help to defeat Ape. Oh, I've just had a horrible thought. Um, speculation. They're going to go to the claxosaur princess and she's going to say... All right, I'll help you, but it's an exchange for something. It's an exchange for a mate or a husband. And who is it happens has been been developing horns on his head? (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) That'd be hilarious. That would be hilarious. I'd be dumb, but it'd be funny. Um, Because I don't see why she'd want to help them, but whatever. I mean, I think she she would want to defeat Ape. I'm not really sure what these this squad of like random teenagers is really going to help her. She seems like she's doing fine on her own, but you know. Yeah, exactly. Does anyone know what Ape stands for? No. Uh, Wikipedia doesn't even say. A potential enemy. <laughs> there, there you go. Uh, right. Oh, actually, one other thing. I just can't believe I thought this. Why did they capture the Grand Crevasse in the first place? If we're on a roll here of asking questions about what's happening in the show, why did they go there? It's not where the Klaxosaur Princess is, so why'd they capture it? Oh, isn't it? Didn't they use it to send the envoy or whatever? No, the crate is a different place entirely, because the Grand Crevasse... Is it? <laughs> I thought it was the same place. No, the... <laughs> why? They came across to me that the crate was a different place, because it has the the creep, the, you know, the Zerg creep, the blue goo outside of it, but we don't see that at the Grand Crevasse, nor in the establishing yeah, shot. Yeah, it looks do we like a volcano the... almost. Yeah. With, like, blue stuff coming out. Yeah. I don't know. Well, they're speaking about a key, so perhaps that's the lock, the Grand Crevasse. The, no, the key is... I the, don't know. The key is the black materia. There you go. Yep. 
Yep, the whole temple is the black materia. I mean, again, this is my problem with the show is that it keeps introducing like this is really important, but then it's not actually. What is Ring Army? Actually, super important. <laughs> what is Ring Army? What is Ring Army? <laughs> Are we ever going to see it? No, nope. it's going to be the big battleship because it's. I mean, um... it's a North Norse mythology reference, but like other than that, yeah, what is it? Oh, it was in Norse mythology. It was, I think the. <sighs> It was, um, I want to say his name is Balder. It's Odin's favorite son, uh, his his awesome boat, and that he was buried in uh, after Loki had him killed. Yeah. Um, and it was supposed to be unsinkable. And so, yeah, I've got the feeling that it's like a battleship. Hooray. But that's just, I mean, that's just if they're, you know. Oh, and the squad is the mistletoe. They are the golden bow who's going to destroy the, ah, I get it. Uh, this show is so <laughs> on point with its plant references. Actually, great. That was I, great. That was hilarious. La- ladies and gentlemen, Emily Rand, she's got it covered. I'm, I'm, no, I finally understand. Like, no, seriously, like this is. Oh, right. Okay, that's the actual episode to finish off because there's a couple of final things we need to talk about. So after the wedding has been, you know, completely wrecked. Hatchie visits Nana in an airship where she's just sat in the corner because, of course, she's still... I'm glad they showed her because I had written in my notes earlier, like, where the hell is Nana? Yeah. Just unceremoniously gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we get a flashback that confirms she was indeed a young Klaxosaur pilot. Uh, so was Hatchie, as a matter of fact. And two things. One, I was right. Franks is a dirty old fucker because... <laughs> He obviously knew her from when she was young, and fuck that guy. I hope he just gets turned into roadkill. That'd be great. Two, what on earth happened to Hatchie's magnificent mane of hair? I know. <laughs> After he was reconditioned, they just made him shave his head. I... He has no feeling toward it one way or the other. Indeed. Ah, so then there's the scene with the robo-bishops that we discussed before that I didn't care about. Uh, then we go to the camp for children, the bird's nest, which is literally uh, like three eggs inside a nest. Because, you know, <laughs> architecture and all that in the future, yeah. it has to be very obvious. It is literally mm-hmm. a nest. They're very, very symbolic builders. Indeed. Kids are all there, you know, moping around like, what's going on? What's going to happen to us? I don't <laughs> like this. You get the impression they've just been sitting there on that spot for like a month. I yeah. mean, don't they say they have, though? Like, it's been weeks. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> yeah. it's been weeks since they told us we were going to get our next assignment. I hope Mitsuru and Kokoro are okay. And they have their little, like, sippy cups there. It's, it's very weird. <laughs> I know. <laughs> How they not killed each other? I don't stuck in that small space for a month. I don't even know. Um, Oh man! But yes, uh, Ichigo, you know, gets a message on her future WhatsApp saying that (laughs) Mitsuru and Kokoro are here and they're back. And naturally, both Mitsuru and Kokoro have had their brains scrambled. Now, this this show really feels like it's taking the piss with this plot point. It really, really is, because I've complained about it every single stream of thought since this thing was introduced back in episode 13, when we learned of Hero and Zero Two's past. And I'm going to complain about it again, because it really feels like it's driving that point home, like it's personally out to fuck me off. Hero and Zero Two make the connection. By the way, I've complained before about Hero not talking about this. 
I'm not getting zero, I'm not giving zero to any leeway this time. She's equally guilty of this now, I'm afraid. They have made the connection that what's been done to Mitsu and Kokoro is the same as what happened to them when they were younger. And as this was happening, I was just there like, you fucking idiots. Why have you not brought this up before? Ever. I can't let this go. It drives me up the fucking wall every time that they, this happens. And now it has happened to their friends. And I'm like, okay, they had, like, mm-hmm. the wedding was, like, them breaking up the wedding was just coincidence. I reckon they were just going to go grab him because they, you know, fucks. I think it was just timing that caused the weddings to happen at the same time. Although I'm not also putting it past Alpha 9 Alpha from, you know, having a sense of dramatic time feeling like, you know what? I, <laughs> I mean, maybe he saw that one episode of, Ch- uh, you know, uh, Walker, Texas Ranger where they, you know, raid the wedding and blow up it up with Bazooka. Maybe he was feeling inspired by that. I don't know. But I can't help but think again that if at some point some of the stuff that happened in 13, the, the past between, you know, Hero and Zero 2 had been brought up with the others... Even if they at least had tried and they ignored it, that would have been something. But for fuck's sake, like, just as they stare blankly on, the pair of them are like, it happened to them too. And I'm like, really? Fucking really? Like, I- Well, and like, so I think my main issue, and like, I totally see where they're going with this, I think, which is kind of hilarious, um, is that. If you're going to scramble their memories, and this is not Dr. Franks doing this. This is the... I'm making the distinction for a very specific reason, because Dr. Franks has mm-hmm. been known to leave again. Like, the he paved the way for Kokoro to discover the little baby book. He paved the way for them right. to go explore mm-hmm. the seaside town. He paved the way for them to do basically whatever they wanted in... Um, in their own like plantation, um, but this is the the over government, right? Like this is ape. Mm-hmm. This is the nines. This is the ruling council um, who wipe their memories, but don't remove <laughs> the rings. Like, and it's not like you can't make the excuse that like, well, they obviously don't know what those symbolize, but they kind of do because nines crashed the wedding. So like, that's information that you would assume you'd be like, okay, what are these? Like, just take it off, whatever. Like, why would you keep that there? So yeah, that was like, that was, and I think the reason is like, okay, they're going to recall through the rings or if if Kokoro is actually pregnant she's then going to like end up remembering through her pregnancy which is like oh motherfucker no hilarious wow oh oh as i said before if any characters are gonna die Mitsu and Kokoro you know Jenista gets blown up and they hold hands for one last time as they're bleeding out and of course it'll be the hands with the rings on them uh, I didn't even think the that, ring. but yeah, that would be. It would the be. Rings are magic. That's why they couldn't take them off. Cause the power of love. Also, wasn't Kokoro's ring light really small? So she's probably got no circulation in that finger now as well. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, like when he like put the ring on her finger, mm-hmm. was was it just me or was that like a? A completely unsettled, unsettled metaphor for like 
the loss of virginity. <laughs> oh no, he says something that's to I forget what the exact line is, but yeah, no, it totally. She said is. It, 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 you know, it hurts, yeah, but I'm okay. Yeah. Keep going. No, yeah, oh! <laughs> slide it, slide it on deeper. Was, yes. was the ring ripped for her pleasure? <laughs> oh man, but yeah, like the fact that the rings are on is um kind of ridiculous. Also, the fact that all she had to do was see uh cherry blossom. <laughs> To start to remember, like, I question Ape's ability to wipe memories at this point. Yeah, I'm in agreement. But otherwise, that's pretty much the episode. Uh... I mean, Hachi seems to remember stuff, but I guess he's just been de-emotioned, and his memory hasn't really been fucked with too much. Or if he has, it's come back. Yeah, I mean, we have no idea, like, because (laughs) they're not from, so again, like, you can't you can't view, or the show has told us, that we're not supposed to view other characters with the same, with, like, Squad 13 as the frame of reference, right? Because they're an experimental right. group. So, like, Hachi mm-hmm. and Nana would be more like the Squad 26 uh, pilots. That they and met. yet, they're not dead! But yeah, like, they're, <laughs> they're, they, they're, they're alive. They're not, like, frail and old. And there's, like, a... a a thing where, like, they hint that their memories and or personalities have been adjusted, but, like, we have no idea. Yeah. They're a very weird outlier in, like, a show that is pretty consistent with the older people using the young as, like, fodder for them to continue living. Mm-hmm. So much living coal thrown into the fire, I guess. I mean... Well, again, this episode is just me throwing my hands up. Like, I admit <laughs> I admit that initially I had a more positive reaction to it, but this episode is one of those where if you start thinking about it just a little and you start plucking on the thread, it just unravels. And honestly, the misgivings I have are just, in the, again, with the whole wedding even existing in print in the first place, not because of it, I, I have a disagreement you know, with the characters themselves going through it, but rather just what its function serves in the narrative. And this is why I brought the death flag thing. I do agree that, you know, death flags are a silly thing, but I can't help but feel in this show that, you know, with what's going on, that the only reason that Mitsuru and Kokoro were married narratively was just so this could happen to them. We would feel bad, and then the kids would have their wake-up call that, you know, the government is bad. Despite the fact that, you know, two of them had a wake-up call earlier in the show and decide not to tell anyone about it. I mean... <laughs> If Hero set the kitchen on fire, I imagine he probably wouldn't tell anyone about it at this point, because that's the kind of impression <laughs> I get about him. And Zero Two, for that matter. I mean, I've given Hero a lot of stick, but I'm sorry, doing it with Zero Two as well. She's equally guilty here. Well, I would say that she, I would consider her slightly less culpable only because... Of her, you know, she might be embarrassed or something, I suppose. Yeah, her relationship with the rest of the group is kind of still, like... I mean, I know that she's, like, supposedly fully ingratiated, but it hadn't been that long since she attacked them, and there's kind of, like, questions and stuff, and I don't know. I feel like it would be a lot more natural and a lot more, like, obvious a thing for Hero to do, to talk to these people he's grown up with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm trying to think of... Yeah, it's weird. Like, there's also even been some inconsistencies in how the other kids view the government, like with Zorame and, and Miku, despite the fact that they were like super relieved. You had Zorame's like complete 180 for a bit where he was just like, 
yeah, we were abandoned, so, like, F that, you know? <laughs> and I was just like, wait, what? You love Papa. What are you talking about? You're right. You do love Papa. You're absolutely <laughs> right. Uh, anyway, let's move on to appraisals of the episode. So, um, Emily, as you're probably aware, we give the episodes something out of five. How would you rate this episode of Darling in the Frogs? As Doc tries to pronounce it. I'll give it two Sarah Kerrigans out of five. Two? Two Kerrigans out of five. Fair enough. Fair enough. There wasn't enough Klaxosaur Princess in this episode. <laughs> Honestly, this the rate this is going, she's probably going to turn out to be the most interesting character by far. <laughs> Although, I'm the more I think about it, the more I feel like we've got enough evidence now to suggest they're going to go for a season two. No! <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I mean, is the show very that popular? Reaction. Because I actually heard it wasn't. The numbers for it, sales wise, aren't all that great. Like, not what you'd expect from an A1 mm-hmm. Aniplex kind of blockbuster robot show. Uh huh. Well, hey, you know what? If it turns out there's not a season two, fantastic. <laughs> either either way, we're super not covering it. <laughs> on this podcast no absolutely not it exists i would rather throw myself down a flight of stairs <laughs> that would that's it i'd rather uh do an episodic coverage rewatch of elf and lead <laughs> i never finished that show good no, you don't good good well in that case to doc i have to ask oh you me. never finished it i thought you said you have to finish it no i lost <laughs> interest no. good you, you, mm-hmm. you made a wise decision, Emily. Yeah. So to Doc, since you brought up Elf and Lead, I'm going to ask you this question here and now at the three-quarter away point. <laughs> Darling in the Franks or Elf and Lead, which is better? <laughs> I'm not worried about the answer you're going to give, I just wanted to say that and just have you go, oh, God. <laughs> Man. I... Uh... I it's that's such a it's a hard one. I guess I would say like I mean Darling in the Franks has given me some moments of enjoyment, but perhaps that just like it's been equally or oh, sorry. Perhaps I bah, I'm getting tongue tied. It's been super frustrating also because those moments of enjoyment are so enjoyable and then they are not followed through with and so I just am very annoyed at the show a lot of the time because mm. I want to like it mm-hmm. and I just can't. But I don't like I don't know if the lows are as low as Elfin Lead. Like it's I mean that's just a like a burning fire of garbage. <laughs> Elfin Lead also was half the length though, to be fair. That's true. It's less pain. Uh... Uh, a more intense <laughs> but shorter pain. Oh, uh, I'll leave you to mull that one over, Doc, for another time, okay. especially as the show progresses. For me, I'm going to rate this episode two and a half testis infecting rings out of five. Because you know full well they did not heat treat those. If if Kokoro gets scratched, <laughs> boosters aren't a thing, tetanus all the way. And tetanus is how I describe this show, really, at this but point. But they, were, they were test tube uh, children, so surely they were engineered with the antibodies to... See, I thought diseases. they were... That brings up another thing that I thought the show was going to address, which is, like, <laughs> why they are... So they're called parasites, obviously, because of the mistletoe 
analogy, but they, like, there there was that whole thing where Zorame was, like, walking around the city, and they, like, basically put a Geiger counter on him afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> and they never did anything with that either. No. And again, we still don't have the answer to the question, are they aging prematurely or not? Because Nana and Hachi are still good. Yeah, but Miko, Miku had the gray hair. So. What could that what could that mean? Who could say? Futoshi getting sick. Uh I yeah, I thought that the Zorame episode was gonna go places. Like and and they were gonna take those ideas forward. Because mm. it really seemed to be like, oh, after three or four episodes of not very much, like, here's some real meat to the <laughs> world and then you know, nothing. They've done yeah, that episode was good jack and too. shit. I was like, Oh, okay. I this was. Is good. Yeah, like all right, we're moving and then though. Nope. No. No. Uh, my rating, I'm going to give it two cute hats out of five. Fair enough. So, nah. Well, we're at least we're in the home stretch anyway. We only have six more episodes to go. And then we could talk about something else. <laughs> yeah. Hooray. Thank God. But anyway, um, to everyone at home, Thank you again so much for taking the time to join us today on Stream of Thought for mm-hmm. Laura Desho and Darling the Franks. But I would be remiss not to, of course, thank our special guest today, Emily. Emily, I'm sure I can speak for Doc on this. It's been an absolute pleasure and a delight to have you here. It's been really enjoyable, both for your insights and your wit. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts for taking the time to come join us and talk about this show today. Thank you so much. No, it was super fun. I'm available for... Any sort of flower related <laughs> <laughs> things. Uh yeah. Hey. Honestly, we, we may for we'll have to get you back at some point because it's been a delight. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Tell tell folks where they can find you. Indeed, plug yourself, absolutely. If they oh want to, yeah. So, or read your stuff. So yeah, my my Twitter is uh AJ the Fourth. If you're at all interested in esports, I have a business Twitter. That's uh, at League of Emily, but I wouldn't follow it unless you really like League of Legends and Overwatch esports, because again, it is my business account. And yeah, you can, I write at For Me in Full Bloom, which you can find all of my flower related Darling in the Franks posts there if you're wondering where I'm pulling this stuff out of. Uh, it's all It's all on there. Excellent. Uh, you can find me on Twitter if you're interested in talking to me about fighting games or beer or beer and fighting games at Shaden1010. And Doc, you can be found at. Well, I want to know when Emily's going to explain objectivism to us. Oh, Ooh. God. Please Let's no. get comfy this one. Oh, wait a minute. That's that's the wrong. You know what? Okay, you know what's super oh. funny? Though, <laughs> is, that, is that so growing up, my, my mom's name is kind of similar and so like people would like oh, no. yeah ask if i was related <laughs> did they <laughs> and i'd be like oh, well if you actually know anything about her worldview you would know she did not have children hi boom <laughs> well yeah you know the anran super fans like are you related do you want to do i try that again you know you can retake that question if you want it's all like jeopardy where once you commit it's over <laughs> Oh, God <laughs> Just damn it. edit it back in. <laughs> so, Doc, what about you? Where can we find you on the you know the deep dark interweb? Uh, you can find me at the Subtle Doctor on Twitter and talk to me about anything 
how wrong I am about this anime or other things, uh, yeah, please give me a shout. I would love to chat with you. <laughs> and thanks, everybody, uh, for joining us. And also, Emily, uh, thank you very much. Indeed. So, everyone, uh, until next time with Darling in the Franks, episode 19, have a very pleasant evening. And as always, embrace each other, everyone, till the ends of the universe. Mwah. <laughs>